It's Cofield and Company's Las Vegas Raiders opponent preview. Let's break down the Raiders versus the Titans. Cofield. Willie Ramirez, Finley Toyota Studios. Let's continue talking Raiders, get into another one of the opponents. This one coming up on September 25th, it's the Titans, and uh, one of the guys who does the morning show on the game in Nashville is uh, Joe Rexroad, and he joins Cofield and company here on this Monday. How are you, sir? Doing great. How you guys doing? We're good. We're good. What's the mood in Nashville about the Titans this season? Uh, it's definitely different than a year ago when I, I'd say the uh, the excitement was off the charts. You know, they had Julio Jones coming in, and this offense was going to be unstoppable, and it was... Uh, you know, there was a lot of excitement. Now it's sort of, I think people are excited about the team. They're hopeful, but uh, you know, a lot more questions, especially on that side of the ball. You know, with the AJ Brown trade, Traylon Burks coming in hasn't exactly set the world on fire in camp. Although I, I do think that he can be a very good player uh, at some point, possibly at some point this season. And then they have some offensive line questions to go with, of course, Ryan Tannehill after. Um, especially his playoff performance, you know, throwing three picks to the Bengals. There's a lot of, you know, I think a lot of uh, fan discontent with him. But they're also very excited about the defense, which I think could be one of the best in the league. Yeah, it's weird, right? I mean, you go 12-4, you're on top of the AFC, and then then the next season I just feel like the bookmakers aren't that high on them. I mean, keep in mind, and you know this, uh, you've got Derek Henry back at 100%. Obviously, uh, Henry not being there, you patch everything to, uh, everything together last year. I think excitement should be high, and I, I do believe, you tell me, if Tannehill isn't working out, can Malik Willis go in and actually play at a pretty high level to carry this team if they need to be carried off poor play from Tannehill? No. No, Malik okay. Willis, no, no, no. Malik, Malik Willis is not close to ready to, to start in the NFL right now. Um, I, I think that I think someday, you know, I think they, obviously the hope is, and really the plan all along was basically redshirt year. Um, there is there is definitely a lot to work with there. Big time arm. He's a very good athlete. You know, he comes from an offense where you look to the sideline every play and you you roll out and read half the field and. I mean, it's, you know, it wasn't very good. You know, if anybody who saw highlights of Titans preseason games, he'd made three or four good plays in those games, and they were loud and impressive plays, but a whole bunch of holding the ball and, and not, you know, uh, not getting the ball out and, and also throwing errantly a lot. Um, he's really still got a lot of work to do on his footwork to get that accuracy um, consistent, and that's probably my biggest question with him. I think all the elements of, you know, becoming an NFL quarterback will be there eventually with time. I do wonder about being, you know, finding consistent accuracy. Now, again, he has a cannon for an arm, and he'll, he'll make throws that are tremendous at times. But, no, if, if he came in, I mean, right now, as bad as Tannehill was in that playoff game and, you know, really a down year last year, there is a, there is a grand canyon between those guys still in terms of quality. I mean, Tannehill only uh, sits this year if he's injured. Joe, uh, Derrick Henry had surgery on the on his foot. Um, Titans draft Hassan Hack, Haskins brought back Dontrell Hilliard for depth, but he insi- Henry insists he's healthy and ready for whatever has been asked of him. What are you seeing at training camp, and is he going to be back to what we've known from him? Yeah, he looks he looks ridiculous in a good way. It looks like oh, he figured out some other new way to like lift 
trucks with his toes, or I don't know what he's been doing, but I mean, he's, uh, yeah, and you know, cutting too on the foot early in camp, that's what I was kind of looking for is, you know, that, that right foot, are you going to be able to make those hard cuts in that, you know, that outside zone scheme, it's it's heavy, heavy on the cutback, and he's been so good at that, and uh, he looks just like he he's, he's looked at his very best, so you know, when you have an injury like that, you, you you always wonder, like, okay, is this like the start of something? He's had such a heavy workload over the last few years, but he really is different. I think if there's a guy who can buck the, you know, the running back trend, oh, you, you get near 30 and it's like you're ancient, and, and, and a guy who can stay healthy even after a serious injury like that, I would say it's Derrick Henry. And uh, if he's going to, you know, if he's going to be there all year and, and avoid that injury, I think he's going to have a, a very good season and like a you know at least like a 1500 yard kind of season for the titans what do you think of the aj brown deal should they have paid him the 25 mil a year i think so yeah i didn't like the i didn't like the move at all um and look uh, these things happen sometimes where a player cuts off talks or requests a trade and it gets a little bit contentious and the agent's driving the bus and I mean, you know you look at like i mean it, you know, he has the same agent as Debo Samuel, and you know, you look at what happened there. Sometimes you just back away, and you come back and you figure it out. Uh, AJ Brown is a special player, and yeah, that's one of my big questions about this team. Um, AJ Brown has been banged up here and there, and hasn't been able to play full seasons. But he's also taken over games for the Titans, and you know, really, if you look at the last couple of years, there's a heavier correlation with his success and team success than even Derrick Henry. Of course, they still figured out a way to get the one seed last year, despite not having Derrick Henry for the last nine games. So I didn't like it. Um, I just think when you get someone like A.J. Brown, you hold on to him. This is an organization that just has bad history with receivers. They finally found a special one, and they move on. It's just asking so much of Traylon Burks to come in here and you know replace him. Now, he won't be that guy early. I don't... It, he won't start, you know, but they're going to try to get him involved, You know, get some big plays out of it, eventually get more from him. But that, that's just a big void to me of just that guy on the outside who can take over a game, who can manipulate what a defensive coordinator is doing, scare people. They don't really have anybody who does that right now on the outside. Talking to Joe Retro, the game in Nashville here on Cofield and Company. With Raiders opponent preview, they play on September 25th with the Titans. And, you know, last year one of the things was – allowing or keeping Derek Carr off of the turf. Tennessee was the only NFL team to have three players with at least eight sacks last season, that defensive front. How is that looking? Yeah, it looks really good. Although Danico Autry is, and of course you guys are familiar with him, he is a little bit of a concern. Um, he, he did not participate much in camp. He was probably really the best pickup they had last season he was tremendous next to Jeffrey Simmons and moving him all over the place great chess piece you know uh, for a defensive coordinator as long as he's okay you know it's like some guy gets to that age and it's like hey you know he has, it looked like he had maybe a little hand wrist injury you know take camp off see you for the opener then then they'll be fine that is my one concern but Jeffrey Simmons I think you can make the case is as good as any defensive lineman other than Aaron Donald in the league and he looks sleeker and faster now. And uh, Bud Dupree, of course, last year, they, they signed him from the Steelers. He was coming off an ACL. It took him a long time to get going. He looks more like Bud Dupree that they signed to go with Harold Landry, 12-sack guy who got a big contract. So, yeah, they've got a lot of different guys who can who can rush the passer, and I think that could be the, the strength of the team. 
Over-under win total for the Titans, 9.5, with actually a, a pretty healthy plus 135. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd go over on that. I don't you know. I mean, I think they're about a 10-11 win team. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it, I think the defense gives you a certain level of stability. They're better at corner than they've been really in a long time. I think they, they might have the best safety tandem in the league. And, you know, again, Derrick Henry, I, I think that he's – going to have a great year. I think I think the play-action game will be better for Tannehill this year. Uh, they brought in Tim Kelly from Houston to sort of help uh, O.C. Todd Downey. Of course, Raiders fans know Todd Downey well, too. Uh, did not have a good year. His one year as O.C., and there's some question about him here, but I think the Titans are a, a, a solid 10-win team anyway, and if some things break their way, it could be better than that. Joe, I mean, to, to piggyback off that, they opened the season on September 11th hosting the Giants. They only played two more home games through early November. Five of the first eight are on the road. They have to play the tough AFC West. I mean, that's a tough schedule to say 10-11 win team. Um, how, how important is that first half in terms of being on the road? No, you're absolutely right. They do have a brutally tough schedule. It's funny. It's like you've become conditioned when you cover Mike Brable to look at the schedule, see tough games, and say, okay, those are the wins, and then where are the crappy teams? Oh, there's the losses. It's it's amazing how that's gone the last few years. Oh, you know, like last year, they lose to the Texans at home. They lose to the Jets, but they go to L.A. and they win. And You know, they sweep the Colts, and they beat the Bills on Monday night. They beat the Chiefs, you know. Uh, so uh, it is a good point, though. I mean, it, you can't assume anything, and you're right. They've got to be – They've got to be, you know, sharp early for that stretch. I mean, I think the defense is going to have to carry this team then. And really, if they're going to have any kind of playoff success, I think this is a team that's going to have to win a lot more games more than like the, you know, 24-20 range than, you know, a couple of years ago when they averaged 31 points a game. So, again, we're talking the number one seed from a year ago. Some things have changed, but by the pecking order here in Vegas to win the AFC championship, the Titans are the ninth Choice. I mean, that seems seems low to me. They're behind. They're behind the Raiders, and it, you know it's fine to talk about the quality of the teams in the AFC West, but they're going to beat the snot out of each other. And naturally, you know, getting a chance to play the Texans and the Jaguars, it makes it easier in terms of seeding for Tennessee. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's interesting, but that's pretty consistent. Whether you're looking at odds makers or you know just media who cover NFL, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of people picking them to go like eight and nine this year and stuff, and. I mean, I kind of get it because Tannehill was so bad in the playoff game, you know, and then A.J. Brown's gone. So, you know, I get that. I think people are sleeping on the defense probably more than anything, but um, it was awfully impressive what they did last year. You lose Derrick Henry, and you still figure a way to win all those big games. And look, I mean, Mike Vrabel is is a big factor here. I think Mike Vrabel's moving up that list of, of coaches in this league. Of course, he was coach of the year last year, but he is very good at motivating teams, Finding things, he's uh, people who you know have been in the film room with him, uh, believe highly in him as a as a defensive schemer, and he just he's got a really good feel for for coaching a football team. Titans have a new stadium on the way, right? Eventually, yeah, it hasn't all gone you know through. There's still some haggling to do there, but yeah, I mean, there it's going to be a, a roof stadium, um, which of course will allow Nashville to get like the Final Four and. Maybe college football playoff and stuff like that, and, and I, you know I think Super right. Bowls too, at least, at least one. So it, it'll be a few years down the road, but it is coming. They were going to renovate the you know, Nissan Stadium, and they realized it was uh, quite expensive to do that. Uh, the owner, Amy Armstrong, did not want to go roofed, but uh, the city 
very much wants that, of course, to, to bring all those events here. The public contribution to the stadium is what? Well, you know, it's, it's again, it's not all done yet, but uh, <laughs> you know how it goes. It's like, this will not be public money, and it kind of is really public money, but, I mean, it's, they've got a big mixed-use area right. that, will be, uh, that will be going in, including uh, living quarters, and so a lot of it is investors around that who, mm. that, you know, will, will be. So th- I, I think they've got something that's going to be palatable, but there's still going to be some opposition. Yeah, we threw in $750 million in public taxpayer dollars, and we have about another $500 million now to fix all the roads around the stadium, so it'll be over a billion. I think the bills, <laughs> I think Buffalo and New York threw in like $900 million, and I saw some of the numbers for this one were pretty high up there. Uh, football is so big. In the South, it, would there be a breaking point where there would be a good number of people? It's not going to go to public vote because none of these things do. But would there be a breaking point for local residents, local fans? Where they're like, whoa, too much money going into this from us. Again, I think that I think that the way they've got it worked out, I think is going to to go through. But yeah, I mean, look at like they had an MLS stadium built here, and, and it wasn't necessarily as smooth as I think the owner of the MLS team thought it would be, um, you know, they've talked about trying to bring an MLB team to Nashville. It's like, okay, well, where's the billionaire? And, uh, (laughs) you know, look, obviously people around town, I mean, it it has done so much for Nashville. There's a lot of factors, but having an NFL team here has been a big part of why this city has absolutely boomed, you know, in the last 20 years. So I think a lot of people recognize that and and the value of that. But look, I mean, I'm I'm keeping an open mind on how this could go. Yeah, I mean, well, you mentioned all the events you can get with a a roof or you know dome stadium, and that's what we're getting. We're we're starting to move in now that the taboo has gone from sports gambling and the anti Vegas stuff. We're going to get all those big events. So that's cool. One last yeah. one uh, would well, I'll say this: Nashville, if they are getting Super Bowl, should be in the rotation because that is a, that's an awesome destination city. I'll I'll close with this one: Should Nashville get the next baseball team or Vegas? I don't think Nashville's ready for that okay. personally. Um, you know, this is again, this is it's 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 been fantastic growth here, and uh, it's a great city. It's a great event city, like you said. But there are a lot of people here from different. I mean, shoot, we have a lot of California here uh, where I live. You know, here in Nashville, I mean, a lot of people from the Midwest. And I, I question, you know, are you going to have that following? You know, for eighty-two home games. Um, I just don't know if it, it's ready right now to support an MLB team. And there's also a question. The Titans have made it clear they have no interest in, like, sharing space or having any sort of, like, complex with a baseball stadium there. They, they have, that's not happening. So now you have to find another uh, area of town, or you can go to the suburbs. And I just I, – I don't, I don't think Nashville right now is ready. I know some people strongly disagree with me here. Joe, we appreciate it. Uh, tell people where they can find your written work, uh, The Athletic, right? Yeah, yeah, theathletic.com, and uh, yep, 102.5 uh, in the morning, 6 to 10 Central, and at Joe Rexroad on Twitter. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay, guys, appreciate it. There is Joe Rexroad, preview of the Titans. Raiders will be taking on Tennessee. That would be a nice win. That's going to be on September 25th. Not saying it's going to be a win, but that would be a nice win. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Yeah, it's funny. We were just talking about Nashville getting their new stadium at some point. It's not totally done. We were talking to one of the guys from the game, Sports Radio, 
in Nashville. So they've got a $2 billion plus stadium they're hoping to get done. And Joe Rexford mentioned all the other events when you have a roof that you can get. So Nashville's trying to step up. And that's a really good event city. The stadium here has been massive. Steve Sear can speak to that. We'll talk about it in a couple minutes. But we are doing another Steve Sear Summer Tour 2022 with a couple of stops. I don't think we're going to announce the uh, second stop until Wednesday. But first stop is Ellis Island, the front yard. Steve is up with us. How are you, sir? Oh, man, Mr. C, I'm so excited for Wednesday. And, yeah, on, on Wednesday, Steve will announce the most amazing, one of the most amazing <laughs> athletic events to come back wow. to Vegas that you were involved with before. But, yeah, we, we want to save that announcement for Wednesday. Man, that's going to have to be pretty big because we did uh, bikini ping pong at Sapphire about five years back. So this one could top yeah. it, huh? No, this one's better, and we've done this one, too, before, but it's been a while. Okay. It's All been right. a while, so I, I don't want to say any more, but, yeah, um, the front yard's really cool. I mean, you know, and I, I'm a little biased, but, I mean, it's only the best <laughs> beer in town, but, I mean, it's five bucks, and the wine is half off that day, and it's free to locals, and we're going to have uh, – we're, we're going to start the show, you know, traditional with our national anthem, but I've got a little twist to it. We're having a, uh, a Star-Spangled Banner – played uh, by my friend Naz, who was in the 27 show on his guitar. So we're going to open the show at 4 o'clock, and it's going to be really cool. So 3 to 6, full Cofield & Company show, Ellis Island, one of my favorite places in town, the front yard, brand new build-out, used to just be a parking lot. The imagination that went into making that into this fabulous brunch and dinner and sporting (laughs) event watching area is sick. I don't even know how they came up with that thing. Well, it was uh, my, my boss. You're going to meet them both. The 28 and 30 year old, uh, the Ellis girls, they put together and play. You know, the, the top opens, you feel like you're in a real football stadium. I mean, it's really cool. And, you know, that, that main screen, Steve, it was half a million bucks. I mean, you know, it can rain on it. It's pretty amazing, the front yard. So, uh, also, we got, um, I told him earlier that you called him a weenie. Randy Couture is going to stop by and do a little interview. No one called so Randy Couture cool. a weenie. What are you and doing? He, he's going to sign some gloves. And then okay. Zoe Bowie is going to be here, too. And then um, I don't, I've got another couple surprises. Maybe uh, I don't want to spill the beans, but a couple other maybe Raiderettes are coming by, too. Okay. So we're going to have a good time. Nice. You know, so here's the thing, Steve, and because you know, you and I could talk old Vegas forever, which we right. which we did um, in an article I wrote uh, on you on Gaming Today. But what I think is cool is it's not just what Steve brought up and you're explaining in terms of like what Ellis Island was in terms of it was a an empty parking lot that's now been built out. Is that you and I yeah. remember when Ellis Island, what it was like. I remember in, it, it in the late 80s, early 90s. It was fifteen right, machine. Right. And, and what I think is cool is is you're able to build it up to what 2022 in Vegas, to not necessarily to rival the resorts or whatnot, but to still create an old school Vegas vibe, something that you've missed. Uh, I agree. You know, at, in at Ellis Island, when I was, you know, 25, 30 years ago, you could go to any other bar, and if you were a casino employee, show your badge and get a free drink. The only place that does that now is Ellis Island. You're in the industry, you come buy your first drinks on the house. I mean, they're really old school. I mean, from the karaoke lounge to the barbecue, but I'm telling you, our pit right now, there's more action here than, it, I mean, you know, I love the Virgin, but <laughs> go there or the Palms. We have more casino action here than any place. It's crazy. Uh, karaoke is still there, correct? Yep. Oh. Yep. Dubbed, Absolutely. 
I used to do karaoke at the old Ellis House. One of the best spots in town. Seven nights a week. Yeah, people are singing. The Righteous Brothers have been on that little stage. I mean, it's unbelievable. The restaurant's been rebranded a Village Pub because obviously the Ellis's own all the Village Pubs. And uh, the steak special, in spite of not really being advertised, still kind of humming along, right? It's not on the menu, and we do like 500 steak specials a day. Wow. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> and, is it, and, and again, it's I, unbelievable. Got, I have to say, the old school... That's that's something that's that's old Vegas. That's not like what people are thinking of today. Like I remember back this this place isn't even open on Valley View going to the lift for the four ninety nine Casey right. steak special. You got a big T bone, baked potato, salad, drink for four ninety nine. That's old school stuff is steak specials. Isn't it embarrassing that some casinos still have to advertise that we pay three to two in blackjack? You can split aces four times here at Ellis Island. We have ten times ons and dice. You know, Gary Ellis, is, he gives you a good deal. You know, and that's why we're always packed. Live co the company uh, show. Steve Sears on the horn. He'll be with us for much of the show. It's this Wednesday, 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 yep. 3 to 6, front yard. We'll be up on the stage. Special guest. We know of one right now in uh, Randy Couture. Could be some other. Steve always pulls out some surprises. The other exciting thing about it, and believe me, anyone who's listened to the show knows how fired up I am about F1. <laughs> zooming right down Koval. Oh, no, we are the start-finish, and uh, the uh, the girls, when you interview them, will talk about that. They've already, you know, it's over a year away, but F1 is, is literally right next door. Remember where the drink was and uh, and all that? It's all bulldozed now, and they're working on it every day. Amazing. I mean, they, Formula One spent $240 million just on the land. It's going to be a year-round experience right there. And then Koval will be, you know, the, the start-finish is right at Ellis Island. 39 acres F1 bought for $240 million. And, I mean, you know, because you're down in that area all the time, they cleared that land faster than I've ever seen any land cleared. Man, I don't know how they got permitted that quick. I guess when you spend that kind of money. But, yeah, I mean, they the, the drink came down in like 48 hours later. And they're trying to get all that stuff done uh, well before November of next year. We're talking about, what, the second or third week in November of 2023 for F1, right? Correct. That's correct. And so uh, – I mean, you know, then Caesars Valley's is building a grandstand. Uh, Ellis is going to have a grandstand on their property, too. But all of our suites face Covo Lane, so it's really cool. What's the event going to be like? I know you don't work with MGM Grand now. You've pretty much worked with everyone. Steve Sears with us. Uh, you've worked with everyone over the years. But I saw that they were talking about putting together, like, $100,000 vacation packages, VIP yep. packages for that weekend. Oh, no. I mean, the money yeah, to Vegas for F1 is going to be crazy. It, it, it's going to be more than nuts. And, yeah, there are packages that include driving experiences. I didn't realize, Steve, really how big F1 was. until I, I guess it's only been in America once, right, in Miami? It was in Miami, yeah. It was ma- it's massive. Anytime the United States gets a race, it's, it's a freaking coup. Yeah. So, um, but, yeah, you know, talk about the right location. So, yeah, I'm telling you, every, tell everybody to come down Wednesday. It's going to be a lot of fun, and then we will announce about um, our second show and what's going to happen there. But uh, it won't be boring. We, we never are when we get together. Ellis Island is also giving away for players uh, Raiders tickets in the 5 o'clock hour for the opener, right? Oh, that's right. Shoot, I forgot about that. That's right. They're <laughs> going to give away uh, two tickets to the opening game. Uh, and, you know, that's why my players love it here, because Ellis Island even has a skybox. It's amazing, yeah. Okay, so we've talked about this a few times. Steve's here is with us. How big has the stadium been for you, but specifically the Raiders for the high-powered casino host in Vegas? Oh, uh, it's it's. 
Uh, I mean, we, we've talked about before the stadium was built. It, it's changed everything. I mean, it's so great. The Vegas Golden Knights were wonderful, but this is times five. Anytime the Raiders, I, I mean, I wish, you know, the, the NFL played year-round. It's crazy. Uh, you know, fifty hundred thousand dollars players that hate me are calling because they know that, you know, they want tickets and they want to go to the game. And all from out of town. It's not, you know, when, when I try to buy tickets, I want them on the visitor side. Because, you know, I mean, the Chiefs, forget about it. I mean, I have $2 million <laughs> players that are fighting just to come oh, wow. when the Chiefs and the Raiders play. Yeah, it's big. Nice. All right, Steve, we're going to see you on Wednesday. Uh, we'll have you uh, you guys on for, you know, the better part of the end of the show. We're really excited about it. We're putting everything together. But, yeah, Ellis Island, great spot. Steve knows it as well as anyone. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll see you Wednesday. There he is. Steve's here. Superhost. Working all over town over the years has a lot, lot. You know what? His his stories are great too because he's done really well here and he's got the uh, whale hunt in the desert book and he's had like yeah. five different versions of it. But I tell you, the favorite thing he likes to talk about is actually <laughs> getting fired at lots of different places because working in Vegas is such a grind and it's changed over the years because of ownership, right? Because yep. of corporate ownership, and he can talk about Vegas going back to the 80s and how crazy it was. I'm going to reach, I'm going to find during the break, I'm going to retweet a story I wrote on him, the background and everything. You guys will love it. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. Shotgun again. Brumfield wants to throw, and the pass on the far sideline is caught. 40, 30, down the sideline is Ricky White. He's going to waltz into the end zone for a Rebel touchdown. But the Rebels just went 90 yards in a couple of plays. They were so far backed up after the penalty, but they turned things around in a big hurry. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. 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 Big opener. For the Rebels, they did what they needed to do as a 25-and-a-half point favorite. They take out Idaho State. That was a big play in a game of lots of big plays. Ricky White on the catch, eight catches, 182 yards, two touchdowns. That was a 72-yarder on a third and two. And as we detailed earlier, Doug Brumfield, now comfortable enough with the offense, also healthy, uh, actually checked out the line and uh, talking to Ricky White today. Uh, White said, yeah, you know, he gave me the, the signal. We... Figured out, hey, what we're going to do here, play changes, and then a perfect pass. One-on-one coverage, laid it out there, and then nice stiff arm. Defensive back goes falling down. So UNLV with a win, 52-21. We'll have uh, more on this with John Von Tobel in about 10 minutes, and then some of the Monday press conference that Arroyo does. Every single Monday we'll do that around 522. But a couple of numbers that you wanted to point out. Yeah, so I'm looking up and down the the final stats. It was amazing. Idaho State... Um, I think he he brought it up in your interview that you played for right after the game. But so Idaho State finishes with 50 yards rushing, but that's on 40 attempts, 1.3 yard per rush. UNLV only rushed 33 times, seven less than Idaho State, 149 yards, 4.5 yards per rush. Total offense impressive when you're averaging 8.1 yards per play. 554 yards for the Rebels on 68 plays. Idaho State, one less play, 67 yards, 240, uh, 67 plays, excuse me, 241 yards. And then finally, I had briefly made it uh, earlier, red zone uh, scoring chances, 
Six of seven for the Rebels, um, which is good. Now, here's the thing. We're hearing after the game on Twitter the last couple of days, so what? FCS school, Idaho State. Okay. And by the you, way, it's funny. I, I saw almost none of that. Oh, I've been hearing it. Yeah. I've been hearing it. I mean, I, I expect I, it. I've been hearing it. I mean, I, I would expect it. You know, cause yeah, but you do want to temper excitement. It's quality of opponent. But, you know, they've, but they, no, no, they, no, they've no, had no, years no, where they've no, actually no, lost because to in previous FCS, years, Yeah, exactly. FCS and, opponents in the past. And if they would have struggled and won, there would have been whining and moaning. They won the way they were they were supposed to win. So let's give credit where credit is due that in years past, no, not just under Marcus, under Tony, under Halk, this was a tough game. I mean, Christ, they struggled against Southern Utah in the past. Right? So this is a team. This they won the way that they were supposed to win against an FCS. What regardless of what caliber of play. That's what they were supposed to do. Let's give credit where credit's due. Well, we should also mention that if you saw the score, you're like, oh, 56 eh, it's, you know, 52. Mm-hmm. What, what did I get wrong? 52 21. Yeah. Um, they were up 45 7 at the half, and right. they took Brumfield out after he thrown for 356. Could and they worse. really didn't do much for the next quarter and a half offensively because they were trying to work Harrison Bailey in there. And then they closed out strong by bringing in Cam Friel down the stretch, and he looked pretty good on the series he played. But I think there's probably some people who looked at it. Uh, if the Rebels had wanted to, I think they probably could have piled up 70-plus points Absolutely. on the board and made it look even more impressive than 52-21. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. It's Cofield & Company's Eye on Sports Betting with John Von Tobel. All right, rolling towards the 5 o'clock hour. John Von Tobel is up. What's up, John? Nothing much, man. I've been building Lego sets for like the last 24 to 48 hours because my kid got a bunch for his birthday, so my fingers are just all torn up. Is that right? Is that right what? Everything's right today. Just well, I just mean your fingers are torn up. Legos are kind of dangerous if you use them too much. No, it's not that they're dangerous. It's just that there's a lot of tiny little pieces. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you're like consistently just snapping little pieces into place over and over and over and over again. You know, it wears down on your, uh, on your epidermis after a while. So what? So what I'll be waiting for is when, when you're done. But then there's a few pieces that you don't realize that sort of got left, and then you step nope. on them. Uh, nope. Yep. Nope. Right in the foot. Uh, no, because Willie, this is the one thing I, I haven't really shared about myself uh, to the, the Cofield and Company family. Uh, the term like OCD is flippantly used because there are people who actually suffer from the disease. Uh, but I am militant when it comes to putting things together, like organizing the pieces first, counting them, knowing where they are, organizing them, well, all good. of these things, color coding them. I lose nothing. We're gonna, Trust me on that one. This is good to know for when you put the playbook together for the flag football team. Oh, yes. Trust me. I will. Yeah. When it comes to that, like my wife makes fun of me because, you know, like when I put stuff together, I'll sort the pieces, the screws, I'll put them by their measurements, everything like that. I am I am very much of the mindset. I will never lose anything and I will never miss a piece. Never. Let's talk about the UNLV game on a couple of fronts. Uh, First of all, you were down on the field before the game. That was pretty interesting, right? With the field uh, after the Raiders had played the Patriots the night before. Uh, interesting. You mean the fact that if you just dropped me there and told me to open my eyes, I think I'd be at like Desert Breeze Park or something like that. Like the, the field was um, terrible. Like yeah. and, uh, it was in this isn't look, I, I understand the situation. So this is not a shot, obviously, at a legion or I, I know a lot of UNLV fans were upset like the Raiders aren't holding up their end of the deal, you know, it, but it was it was a very worn in field, like little patches of dirt, you know, all that sand it looked like. 
Um, so yes, I, I was surprised at the state of that field. Um, at the same time, it didn't seem to slow down UNLV's offense, especially yeah. in the second quarter. Uh, but yes, I was very surprised about the state of that field. It looked very, very poor. And, you know, it's funny. You try to resist anonymous jabronis who just throw stuff out on Twitter. And I almost answered one person, again, anonymous, who was like, oh, that's just terrible uh, groundskeeping. I'm like, shut up. The the, that- the the field had been stripped and broken down by multiple soccer games. They're going to resod. They weren't going to resod before three more games. So it's not bad groundskeeping. They had played on it way too much. They, you know, you're bouncing back the next day after a game, and yeah, you know what? The end zone actually, in a lot of places, was actually just painted dirt. Like there was no, there was no grass left. So, and the other thing I pointed out, it was actually kind of interesting uh, from a venue standpoint. The grass field is actually higher than the turf field. Mm-hmm. So fans were a little bit closer, so it was a little more of an intimate feeling. So it was a cool game, and the the Rebels got the job done. Uh, from what you saw. What do you think? I mean, we had talked about the quarterback question all preseason, and we said, hey, give the slight nod to Brumfield. He's going to be the guy. Yeah, and I, Look, it's one game against Idaho State, but I, I think Marcus Royal made the right choice. I mean, I was very impressed with Brumfield. I'm actually – and I was going to sit down and rewatch the game tonight because I didn't get to sit down and watch the whole thing beginning to end. Um, but from what I was watching, I was I was thoroughly impressed. Obviously, the long touchdown pass had really nice touch on it. It was accurate. And, like, that was the one thing when watching him last year and specifically Brumfield you know I thought that there were some throws where there's either too much mustard on it right or not enough and the touch passes weren't there he just what you like to see is guys just get better from year to year and I thought he just looked better like simply put he just looked better as a passer and I think that's really something great and look do you want to sit back and you want to overreact to this no or do I think that UNLV is going to win 10 games this year I'm not entirely sure but potentially but I like it's <laughs> not altering what I'm thinking but I, I think really when you look at it from the perspective of what you got out of your offense you did what you were supposed to do against what is perceived to be a lesser opponent. And for you in the range of about a what, 25 point favorite or something in which they closed, they did that, right? They looked like the clearly better team on the field in that game. And I think that's a very big positive because we have seen UNLV before. We've seen UNLV under Marcus Arroyo in matchups like this not look like the clearly better team in a matchup which they probably should have been. And this is one where they did. And I think that's a very positive thing to now move forward as you kind of get into a schedule, which has some really high highs in terms of the level of opponent. Uh, for folks who don't know, they have a celebratory slot machine on the sideline. So when they score touchdowns or get a turnover – they run to the slot machine, pull it, and I had sent out a video of this last year, and it actually got a lot of traction on social media, but I think the machine was introed in the middle of the year, not week zero. Uh, I just think the timing of the video I sent out worked right. out well for For I don't even, I don't care what I got on that. It's UNLV got a lot of good attention to the tune of like 3 million views. Uh, it was pretty cool because wow. it's a good idea, and uh, you know a lot of people don't know that you know UNLV plays in the stadium and that they're being really creative with the slot machine. You went viral, like that was the thing. I, I mean, you know, like the Levitar. I will say this: so almost every single show or every single network, Steve, like credited you, right? They actually tagged you in the video, like you know, credit Steve Cofield, whatever it was, or shared your actual video. Um, the one thing I did notice was Levitard's show just ripped the video, gave you no credit whatsoever, and posted it themselves. Nice. Uh, so I thought that was very interesting. Uh, but no, I, I think you're right. And I, it, the timing to me, you hit it on the head. It's week zero. There's really nothing going on at this point right now. I think people are really hungry for college football content, uh, which is why the kid, you know, the optical illusion. Did you guys see the Duquesne game, the kid with the long pants? 
um, allegedly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like stuff like this is going to really catch on because <laughs> a lot of people just want college football content at this time of the year. And yeah, no, it was perfect. But yeah. it was good. And I'm with you. Like it's good for you at LV. Again, with the result as well as getting attention for that, if they would have lost the game, right, and yeah. that would have gotten out there, not so great. But the fact that they get that video out there and they blow out their opponent, it's a good weekend. For that, you. That's funny. It, uh, it's a viral video that gets like 3 million views. And I looked at the high pants kid, and someone just screen grabbed that, like with their phone off a TV, and that also got 3 million. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, was in the, I was in the mix. That's what I was say. Were you there? Like that, with a bunch of football there, players huh? around me. So you were like right there, huh? Like they, were you just you just happened? Did you run over to the slot machine because you knew they were going to get there, or were you just standing there and you were like, "Oh, let me just stay here because this is going to be a cool video." And you know what's funny? I often forget about the slot machine because they they've had it right. It's not a big deal. I just happened to I was actually on the wrong side of the field uh, because Ajake returned the interception the other way, and I was like, "Oh, he's going to be coming down here." So I did hustle a little bit. I'm not. No one sees me run. That does not happen. So I walked, I, I lumbered quickly over there, and I got right next to the machine, and uh, I think I got a decent shot. So like I said, I was glad you know we got a lot of attention for it because it's a, a super yeah. creative idea. Let's build on the other UNLV opponents who played in Week Zero, one being Nevada and the other one being Hawaii. They're going to play those teams back-to-back at the end of the season. Don't go crazy off of one game because both programs were in upheaval this offseason. Nevada won, but, man, they didn't look great throwing the ball. And Hawaii, oh, my God, did they struggle. Yeah, I think so. If we're, we're focusing on Nevada first off, uh, I would say that this is a team that, uh, look, you the, the term lucky is thrown around quite a bit uh, and is often too much. In this instance, they were insanely lucky. New Mexico State to turn the ball over five times. And when you can barely throw for 100, I, I, not even, excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, 80 yards, uh, it's a problem, right? Uh, but when you're going to be up 5 nothing in the turnover battle, that's going to help you out. And so eventually they win, they cover, but they don't look very good. I'm still very much looking at Nevada as a team that is going to be on the level potentially of Hawaii as we move forward. As far as Hawaii is concerned, um, yeah, that looked really bad. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because, it's, you know, uh, obviously games develop. And so in that first quarter, they get a big touchdown run. And then the kid for Hawaii drops the touchdown, pad, the, or excuse me, the interception that could have gone back for a touchdown if he was fast enough. And I'm like, man, come on. Like, you got to return those things, kid. That can make the difference. It doesn't make the difference when you lose 63 to 10. That both both guys in charge of those programs have their work cut out for them. And I think at the end of the day, when you watched both of those games, even though the results were different, Nevada won and Hawaii lost in a very spectacular fashion. Um, this is going to be a tough year for both programs. And I think that was abundantly clear when you watched both of them. Did you see any overreactions off of week one with week uh, check that week zero with week one lines? So this is this is what I, we can kind of continue on the, the line with Hawaii, Steve. Um so this line against Western Kentucky when initially opened was Western Kentucky minus eight. Um, <laughs> but then we get the results of week one. It is now up to 16 and a half in some spots. So this is what you're going to start to see. And it's funny because w- when you get bad teams, right, and they do what they're supposed to do in that they look very bad and get blown out. Well, from my perspective and from a betting perspective, I think you're going to start to look to, okay, you know, maybe you play on them again one more time. Like I had Hawaii nine and a half last week in the market I thought was getting a little overzealous. Turned out the market was right. Uh, but now a Western Kentucky team that I wasn't overly impressed with in week one and that I think coming into this year, the market still had some shades of, hey, Bailey Zappi and the Hilltoppers from a season ago as opposed to what is really out there at this point. 
you know, Hawaii is going to be one of those teams that if they fail again to cover this matchup against Western Kentucky, those point spreads, specifically at home, are going to become more and more tempting because those numbers are going to get larger and the market's going to start to get out over its skis about how bad this team is. But yeah, that's just one of the the overreactions I think we saw was Western Kentucky. I think not a great team. Now upwards of 16 and a half, an eight and a half point line move just after week one. Games on Thursday. I'm already on West Virginia plus seven and a half. Uh, games for week one. I was thinking about Arizona at San Diego State. I don't know if you saw it uh, today, and I don't know all the details, but apparently the AD and uh, Brady Hoke stormed out of a press conference today because the media kept asking him questions about Matt Ariza. So there's a little tumult around the San Diego State program. That said, they're going to be debuting in their new stadium. So what do you think of uh, West Virginia Pitt and then Arizona and San Diego State? That's like you knew what I was going to. Uh, yeah, no, I think West Virginia. I'm really intrigued by West Virginia, and this is like a a dynamic where like the you know the market's heading in the opposite direction, right? Pitt is upwards of an eight point favorite now over at Circa, but I've like I've been really kind of thrown off by Pat Narduzzi's comments coming into this season, which was like almost an unhappiness with his offense last year, uh, despite what Kenny Pickett did, and even lamenting their running game and that they didn't run it enough in the game against Wake Forest in the ACC title game, even though. You know, they threw it all over the yard and absolutely wrecked Wake Forest in that game. Uh, and so they've really been preaching this slow-paced, run-controlled, run-oriented offense with now Keaton Slovis at quarterback, as opposed to, of course, Kenny Pickett, who's with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, I don't know how good this offense is going to be. And their defense should be very good, especially up front. Last year, they gave up less than three yards per carry. But this West Virginia team, Steve, I, like they got some pretty intriguing pieces. Their, their offensive line returns all five starters from last year. The two of their top three, so their second and the third guys in terms of wide receivers, are back. JT Daniels, with a good offensive line and some pretty good weapons in terms of their receiving core, I, I think can actually show some stuff in a system like this. And so I'm kind of intrigued by West Virginia. And if this number continues to climb, we're well over the key number, and we're talking about eight now, I th- I'm going to be on the side of West Virginia. Uh, and the other matchup I think that you mentioned, you mentioned um, – what else did you mention? Arizona, San Diego State. Oh, yeah, that one too. And see, I, so this is not a play on the San Diego State angle, right, with the distraction. I just think Arizona is one of those teams. They have about 15, 16 guys coming back, depending on how you rate starters and returning starters. I'm not big on this San Diego State offense, that no matter who is at quarterback. I think Arizona is one of those teams that I kind of want to take a position on to maybe play on them in these instances where they're taking on a likely or a like-minded or a like-rated opponent because I do think they might be a little overvalued. So uh, and on top of that, everything that's going on off the field and if Hoke's getting distracted by all this, I guess that's a plus. But I do think that this San Diego State team, because of the situation, right, opening a new stadium at home against a perceived terrible team, uh, I'm going to be tempted by this, especially because we're talking about, what, up towards of nine and a half, or excuse me, nine and a half, uh, six and a half right now in some spots. John, we got 30 seconds left. Uh, real quick, the big offseason news around the NFL was wide receivers getting 20, 25, 29, 30 million dollars a year. Has that actually affected some thoughts in the NFL MVP market? Maybe a receiver could actually win MVP? I haven't seen it. It's just kind of like my theory. And Justin Jefferson, I, I put a small bet on him at 101 to win MVP. I just think when you look at it, you mentioned it like the increasing value of wide receivers i do wonder if that starts to shift like this thought of what we look at at most valuable player and the key is to steve he doesn't have an overwhelming superstar quarterback that would take all of the uh, credit it's kirk cousins who in that dynamic i think a lot of people would give credit to jefferson as opposed to kirk cousins john tell people about what's going on at vsin 
Uh, new new schedule lineup. I'll be on Fridays at uh, 1 to 3 p.m. and also on the weekends, uh, part of our morning programming, getting ready for football season. Uh, that'll start at 9 a.m. on Sundays, 10 a.m. on Saturdays. And, uh, of course, once we get closer to basketball season, my presence digitally will be a lot larger. That includes live streams during the week for NBA games and whatnot. So keep an eye out for that once we get that settled. Woo! All right, John. Thank you. Good to talk to you guys. Thank you. John Von Tobel, who'll be on with us tomorrow, as we'll be live at Battleborn Injury Lawyers at the Battleborn Broadcast Center. We'll have news on the way back of VGK adding to the goalie mix, and Willie's got a big breaking story.